I would say find your seat, but find your car or your seat or your couch, wherever you are uh, this morning. Just excited to see all of you guys. I got to tell you, it's just, uh, it just does something for me and my spirit just to be able to see a face in front of me, just to see you guys uh, out there. Hopefully smiling faces, right? Just to be able to, uh, just to spend Sunday morning with you guys. It's hard. It's hard to preach to an empty room. I just got to let you know that. Uh, it is difficult to do that. So I'm excited uh, just for my own selfish reasons uh, to, to be able just to join together this morning, uh, just to see all of you guys. Uh, a couple of things just to go through. I, I thank you for your grace as we navigate kind of parking the cars and getting the seats and tables and everything out here. Uh, can we just give it up for our parking team, uh, for those guys who are just... Uh, done an awesome, awesome job for the Dream Team this morning. Um, just doing an incredible job out here. A couple of things before we get started. The first one uh, that I want to announce is this last week we had a unique outreach opportunity as a church. Um, a lot of you heard about it last Sunday. A lot of you came out on Wednesday to help out with it. Um, we did a food give out joining with the uh, Baton Rouge Food Bank. Uh, and so Wednesday morning, we had the National Guard here, 18-wheeler, uh, and had so many cars go through. And I want to tell you, we, we gave out over 600 boxes of food on Wednesday. Come on, somebody. And so that's just, uh, just an awesome opportunity as a church. And so I uh, just want to encourage you guys with that, that we are still uh, doing our Corona outreach. We want to partner with them more uh, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, with the Great Baton Rouge Food Bank, and so you'll just see some opportunities for that uh, as we get started. But I'm excited to wrap up our Gloves Up series with you guys. Uh, I don't have my, my gloves up here. I think they got lost in the move from inside to outside, but just imagine there's a pair of boxing gloves, all right? We have them on the screen anyways. But uh, I'm excited just to end this series um, kind of at the end of this season, and just to kind of give um, a closing thought uh, to this. Our theme verse is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so I run with purpose in every step. So throughout this series, we've been talking about this eternal prize. We've been talking about this idea that in this, in this eternal prize, in this idea that our lives have eternal value, that our lives have eternal impact, that the way that we live, so we run with purpose because what we do matters on the other side of eternity. What we do matters on the other side of our obedience, how we live our life. And so I just want to encourage you guys that we begin to run with purpose. And then he ends with this thought, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just shadow. Shadow boxing is pretend fighting. If you've ever seen anyone shadow box, they're just throwing punches at the air. They're not really fighting anybody. And so shadow boxing is just running around not really throwing a punch, not really actually moving anything, not really accomplishing anything. And I want to also tell you guys right now, I forgot, but I just want to tell you guys also, we have a kid's sermon as well during the midst of this. Uh, it's on the YouTube channel uploaded already. And so if your kids get tired of shadow boxing, they can pull that up on any device uh, and watch the kids' service on there as well. Just putting that out to parents. I, parents out there, you're thanking me, right, for, for interrupting the sermon to tell you that. I just want you guys to know that it is available for you this morning right now. All right, so Paul says, though, I'm not just hitting the air. And so many times as Christians, a lot of us, we get into the place where we do the church thing on Sundays. Uh, we do it, maybe we, we have the facade of it, but we're not really advancing any spiritual territory. We're not really seeing God move in our own lives. We're not really going anywhere spiritually. We're just shadow boxing. And so one of my favorite stories that I want to talk to you about this morning is out of the book of Daniel. Because we talked about how we stand in faith. We've talked about how we go through trials. We've talked about how a lot of times when we're fighting and we're doing things, trials will come against us. And so often as Christians, we misinterpret those times of difficulties. So often as Christians, we think it's because we're doing something wrong that we're in the ring and punches are being thrown at us. We think it's because we're doing something wrong that we're walking through a trial 
or we're walking through a time of difficulty in our life, but oftentimes it's because we're doing everything right and the devil is bringing opposition against us. He's bringing resistance against us. And so I want to talk to you today about what happens when you do everything right, but the wrong thing happens. What do we do when we do everything right spiritually and there's still resistance and the wrong thing still happens to us? So one of my favorite stories out of the book of Daniel, if you want to open your Bible today or if you pull up the Victory app, we've got a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes there for you. But this is the story. I'll just kind of catch you up to where we are at verse 4. Daniel and his friends have been captured so the Israelites have been defeated by the Babylonians and they've been carried into captivity. And this has been prophesied for thousands of years already, right? The, it's been prophesied because Israel wasn't listening to God that they would be carried into captivity. And so they're overcome. And then all of the young people are brought to Babylon and they're being trained to be leaders and they're being trained into the government and brainwashed into the Babylonian empire. And so they're being brainwashed. And of course, they go through several different tests. And so Daniel and his friends pass through a series of tests. And then, of course, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then he becomes in charge of the country. And so then Daniel does what any good friend does when they get put in charge. He hires all of his friends. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all get government jobs because Daniel is now in charge. So they get the government jobs. And so these guys are now in leadership. And so then King Nebuchadnezzar erects a 90-foot statue, and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen everybody's going to bow down to this statue. And so that's where we pick up the story. They've got their government jobs. The king has now declared everyone will worship the statue. And then we pick up the story as this, as this, this edict goes forth, all right? So it says, then the herald loudly proclaimed, which I think is funny, because if I see, if your title is herald, I think you speak with a British accent, all right? That's just my holy imagination. I just, it just roll with me here, all right? Then the herald, I won't do the British accent because I would butcher it this morning. But nations and peoples of every language... This is what you are commanded to do. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the xylophone, all the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now here's the picture that I want you to see because I think that we have a lot in common in the life that we're living, in the culture that we live in. We have a lot in common with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with these three gods. I think there's a lot of parallels between what they go through and what we will step through because I believe just like them, we are living in a culture that is rapidly moving godless. We are living in a culture that's rapidly losing its faith. I know our country was founded on Christian principles, but so quickly we are beginning to lose what we were founded upon. That We are living in a culture that is pressuring us not to live by a biblical standard. It's pressuring not to live by the standard God has set up. It's playing its music, if you will, both literally sometimes and figuratively. It's playing the music and the question is, are we going to listen to what it's telling us to value? Because the world is telling us to value careers and success and kids sports and all these different things. It's telling you to keep those at the top of your priority list. It's telling you that if you don't bow your knee to culture, then there'll be an adverse part of this. That in their story, it's the furnace, but in ours, it's if you don't bow your knee to culture, then we'll just take care of you. We'll ostracize you or you will be passed over for that promotion. Uh, if you don't do what the crowd is doing, then you're going to be fired from your job or your kid's not going to make the team or your family's going to fall apart. And these things are being pumped into us by culture that says, if you don't listen, God help you because that's going to be on you. That everything's going to fall apart for not participating in culture. The world is playing its music. The question is, are we bowing? The question is, are we bowing? Are we allowing the world to shape us or are we shaping the world? And so that's my question this morning. So these three guys have a choice to make. They're living in the balance of choosing whether they're going to bow or they're going to stand for what they believe in. And of course, these three guys stood 
So the Bible goes on to say in the next verse that as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, some astrologers came forward and they tattletailed, all right? These are just the tattletailers of the Bible. They denounced them. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affair. How many know tattletales talk through their nose? Anybody know that? They always talk through their nose, all right? Yeah, the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. Nana, nana, boo, boo, right? These are the tattletales of the Babylonian empires. Incidentally, if this is you, please stop, all right? If you are doing this in your life, please just go ahead and cut that out. The, this path to success is not ruining someone else's life, all right? So that's just, that's free for you. But they said, pay no attention, O majesty. They will serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So they title on Shadrach, Meshach. So we find them in this predicament. And I'm going to help you get some keys from this story to get the gloves up. Because they find themselves in a fight that they didn't ask for. But they've got to get their gloves up as quickly as possible. So I want to draw from this. First thing that you're going to have to do that these guys did is you're going to have to be resolved to be resistant to pressure. You have to be resistant to pressure. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Resistant to pressure because there is peer pressure from the world. There is pressure from the world to give in to culture. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. There is peer pressure from the world to give in to culture. And the way that you stand against that is in relationships. It's in relationships within the church. It's in relationships with other believers. Because if you stand alone, the Bible says, and I want to read you this verse out of Ecclesiastes, because I believe that you are only as strong as your relationships. When you take your stand in the world, you are only as strong as the relationships you have, your relationship with God and your relationships with others. And so watch this in Ecclesiastes. He says, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a court of three fights like Chuck Norris. Come on, somebody. That's in the message, message paraphrase there. You can look it up later. But two, it says if you have two, so if you're just one alone, chances are you might be able to hold out for a little while. You might be able to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do those drugs. I'm not going to sleep there. I'm not going to do the things you're telling me to do. I'm not doing those things. But if you stand alone, there's a 50-50 chance that eventually you're going to wear down and give in. But if you have someone with you, you can stand back to back in those relationships and you can stand. And the Bible says you get another person in there and it's even stronger. A three-quart strand is not easily broken. You'll be able to stand against the pressure. You've got to get relationships in your life. I would encourage you. We've done this throughout the entire quarantine where you can be quarantined, but you cannot live life alone. I don't care what steps you have to take, if it's FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you have to do, if you need to distance, whatever it is, but you have to keep those relationships alive if you're going to stand against the culture. So these three guys stand together. And Nebuchadnezzar now is really upset about that. Watch this in the story. He calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. And they say to the king, O king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, O king. We don't have to listen to you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. And he will rescue us from the king's hand. And so two things I want you to say. The second thing that I want you to see if you get the gloves up is you have to be reliant upon God. We talked about this in weeks one, two, and three that you got to get to a place where you stop relying on your own strength and you're reliant upon God to come through for you. In fact, he says in verse 17, I love this part. I want to focus on this phrase that our God who we serve he can rescue us and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. I want you to notice this, that God can and God will. And I think it's interesting that the first part of this, the God can, is probably an easy sell for most Christians. Right, most people who go to church, most people who call themselves Christians, they would admit, yeah, there is a God and I, I do believe that he is great. I, I do believe he has the power to save people. I believe he has the power to heal people. I, I think that God can do it. I, yeah, I'd go as far as that. 
I think that God could heal somebody when they're sick. I think that God could rescue someone's children. I think God could touch someone else's marriage. But the part that becomes difficult for us as Christians is this, that will God do it for you? Because I think that's where our faith gets a little bit shipwrecked. Where we say, well, I think that, that God could raise the dead in another country, and I think that God could heal somebody in maybe a missionary outreach, or I think that he could do those things. But the question is, will he do it for you? And so I think this is where our faith starts to break down. It's where our faith starts to falter maybe a little bit when we make it personal. And so the question I would ask you this morning is, is how well do you know God? Because faith is just a relationship word. Faith is knowing God. Faith is trust. And if we can't trust God, if we don't know him, we can't put our trust in someone that we don't know. But see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've walked with God. Up until this point in the story, they've been through so many tests already and seen God faithful. He was faithful to them in their testing of fasting and their testing of the food that they would eat. He was faithful to them in their levels of leadership. He's been faithful to them all throughout their story. And so as they go through this particular thing, they say, you know what? We know the God that we serve. We know the God that we put our trust in. And so we don't have to listen to you, O King. Our faith is in the God who can and our faith is in the God who will. And so our trust is in him. He's going to rescue us. We ain't scared of you, O king. We're not bound to culture. We're not doing what you say because at the end of the day, our God has the final say. We're not going to do what you say. You've got to have that revelation in life. You have to get to a place where you believe God will do it for you. That God will have that miracle. And then this is probably my favorite part of the story, verse 18. But even if he does not, O king, even if God doesn't come through for us, O king, we want you to know that we're still not going to bow. That we know he can, we know that he will, but even if he doesn't, oh majesty, that we will not serve your gods, we will not worship the image of gold. They're saying, look, he, God may not come through. They're saying he may not choose to rescue us in this. We know he can, we know he will, we speak in faith, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to do. We don't care what happens to us. I don't care if I get fired from that job. I don't care if my kid gets cut from that team. I don't care if I get passed over for that promotion. I don't care what happens to me. I know where my trust is. I know where my faith is. And this is the final. We are, jot it down if you're taking notes, we are resolved in their purpose. We have to be resolved in our purpose. I'm resolved that I'm not going to be moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I believe. Smith Wigglesworth would always say that I'm not moved by what I see in the world. I'm moved by where and who I believe. I'm not going to be moved by how I feel. Because if you're moved by how you feel, you'll be a wishy-washy Christian if you're moved by the circumstances. There are some days where I feel like a Christian and there are some days where I don't. There are some days where I feel like a good father and there are some days where I don't. Some days where I feel like being a pastor and there are some days where I don't. But if I am moved by my circumstances, the Bible says I can't expect anything from God in that condition, James tells us. If you're moved by what you see, and don't expect anything from faith. But if you're moved by what you believe, then you'll live your, live your life on the rock. And so they get to this place and say, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what happens around me. All I care about what I believe. But then what happens next is interesting. Because in verse 23, Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed and so up until this point he's like yeah man it's cool like maybe you guys didn't hear the music like maybe you just you know you just didn't understand what was going on I know you don't speak the language so maybe maybe you know we're just going to play the music again and then you can you can bow all right he gives them that chance but after they say oh king we don't have to listen to you oh king we don't have to do what you say oh king we don't care what you say 
Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind, all right? He just gets incredibly mad. So watch this. He says his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Talk about an anger management problem. Like this is, this is, think about this board meeting, all right? Just, just imagine with me a little bit. Think about you're out there in the board meeting and he's got these leaders who are revolting and he's like, listen, get my furnace guys in here, right? Like my furnace, like guys, listen to me. You know that temperature we keep the furnace for normal people killing? Like that temperature, seven times hotter. Like anger management in this one, right? Like that, that people killing temperature, like come on, just, just let's get it, let's get it seven times hotter. And then it says he commanded his strongest soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. Now here's the part of the story that nobody likes. We all like the beginning part where they're defiant. We all like the end part because we know the end of the story. Because I think sometimes we read these stories and we know how it turns out. And so we're not really phased by the things that happen in the middle of it. But put yourself just at this moment. Don't think about the end. Put it just in this moment that they seize them. They tie them up. And so these men wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Because I think we study these stories and we ask God, we get faith from them, we ask God to move in our life and we begin to pray. We study stories in the Bible, we pray, God, would you move here? And God, I have faith for you to do this. But what happens when we do everything right and we stand against culture and we still get thrown into the fire? What happens when we pray the right prayers and we still get thrown into the furnace? What happens when we do everything right that God has called us to do? Because the way the story would unfold for me, if I was God, if I would look down and say, hey, that's, that's awesome. You guys stood against Nebuchadnezzar. And so the end of this story is I'm going to strike Nebuchadnezzar down and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be in charge. But they stood against culture and they didn't bow and they did those things. But that's not how the story goes. And this is where our faith gets shipwrecked because what happens when you pray and you believe and you fast and the loved one still dies from cancer? What happens when you do everything right and you keep your heart open and you fight and you go, to, you go to therapy and you do all the things and your marriage still ends in divorce? What happens when you keep your heart open and you love and you do everything with grace and truth and your child still rejects Christ? What happens in those moments when you do everything right and the wrong thing happens? You see, it's amazing what happens to so many of us in the fire. Because so many of us will take that stand and we won't go where they say we need to go. We won't do the drugs or sleep around or do the things our boss is asking us. And we won't go with culture. And we're still passed over for the promotion time and again. So what happens to us in the fire? I think a lot of times we misinterpret those moments in life. <clears throat> we misinterpret those moments where we feel like, God, you've abandoned me. We feel like, God, well, where were you in the midst of that? Where were you? Have you forsaken me? And we begin to believe, well, did God really even exist if he left me in the midst of that? And we push God away. And what I need you to understand is that, yes, God is all good and the devil is all bad. God doesn't bring evil things into your life. But God is not absent in the midst of tragedy. God is not absent in the midst of adversity, in the midst of your blazing furnace. The Lord is not unaware of your circumstances. A story we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that God can take what the devil intended for harm. That God can use those circumstances when everything has gone right, but the wrong thing has happened to us. God can use those to catapult us further and farther than we ever could have gone had the devil not brought that adversary. God can use us to move us further in his plan than we ever would have gone if the devil had not attacked us. We hadn't found ourselves in the ring. So I want to hear today that what the devil is bringing against you, God can turn it for the good, that we have to keep our heads in the fire. 
couple of things I want that will happen for you when you stand as we close today. A couple of things that you'll find when you find yourself in the fire. And that is you find Jesus. When you find yourself in the furnace, you find the Lord. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, he leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisor, weren't there three men that we tied up and we threw in the fire? Weren't there three? Like, guys, didn't we, didn't we only kill three today? Like, we, we didn't throw four in the fire, right? Like, we only killed three people. Like, who loses track of that number, right? Just who, who does? But he says, weren't there three? They said, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The son of the gods. I love this verse where he says, he looks in there, he says, well, didn't we kill three? I don't remember how, but I see four inside. So I'm looking in there and I see them. And I want you to know that in the midst of your furnace, when you feel like, God, have you abandoned me? God, have you forsaken me? God, why do I walk through this thing? I want you to know that Jesus has never been closer than in those moments that God is there with you. And we begin to pray like, God, you wouldn't have let this happen if you loved me. But I want you to know Jesus doesn't take you out of the fire. He joins you in the fire. Jesus doesn't take you, amen to that. Jesus doesn't rescue you out of it. He joins you in the midst of it. The Bible says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And so many of us are praying those prayers of God, where are you? When the word of God is clear that God is with us, that he walks with us. I want you to read this out of Isaiah chapter 43. It says, when you walk through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown and when you walk through the fire of oppression you will not be burned up the flames will not consume you somebody needs to hear that today that when you walk through these times of adversity when you walk through times where you feel like you're all alone when you walk through this fire or this furnace that God walks with you that he's always with you that what the devil brings against you will not destroy you that what he's attacking you with will not end that your jeopardy that your de your destiny is not in jeopardy that what God has for you your purpose is still intact that God still has a plan for you, that you will not drown, that you will not be burned up. That God loves you and he walks with you. But it's always amazing to me in these times, so many people, they pray to be in leadership, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The list to be in leadership is a long list that people say, yeah, God, move me into that position. But the list of people who want to be tied up and thrown in the furnace is non-existent. So many people want leadership, but they don't want the furnace. But I would remind you today that you always have to go through to get to. That God is doing something in your life, even in the midst of adversity, that he's preparing you for whatever that thing is that he's leading you to. And that adversity that you're walking through is preparing you for what God has for you, the destiny he has. But the devil understands that, and so he's bringing adversity against you to stop you from the potential and the purpose he has. That God has a purpose for your life. You look at Joseph's life, where Joseph walked through. He was betrayed by his family, thrown in the pit, sold into slavery, betrayed in Potiphar's house, thrown into prison, betrayed in the prison. You see, all of these things, his life was a catastrophic failure until at one moment God said, okay, it's time. He's now ready to be transported from the prison to the palace. That Joseph was now ready to take that stage of leadership. Sometimes we walk through these tragedies where the devil is trying to destroy us. He's trying to bring us, he's putting us in this fight in the ring. We walk through those things and then all of a sudden God says, okay, now they're prepared for what I have for them. You always have to go through to get to that God is bringing you to a place to be that father or that mother or that husband or that wife or that leader that God has called you to be. He's preparing you for that. So you can make a difference in the world around you. But you always have to go through to get to because there's some testing that happens in the fire. In life, there's a testing, there's a purification that happens. And so the second one 
is that you always find in the fire, you find Jesus, and then you also find freedom. And when you find Jesus in the fire, that he frees you of a whole lot of things that you were carrying already in your life. That when you step through moments of adversity and you step through moments of trial and when the devil brings those things, when you stand in the fire, when God is with you, so many other things fall off your life. Those things that are unimportant. I want to read this verse. It says, look, they're walking around and watch these two words, unbound and unharmed. And I think there's two things there that we can learn from this story. That they were unbound and they were unharmed. Unbound because the things that bind you, the things that have plagued you all of your life, the things that have held you in bondage. So many times when you get in a time of adversity and Jesus is all that you have, and you're in this fight and you've got the gloves up and you're seeking God in his word and you're walking through this time of fire, so many times God begins to purify off of you the things that are binding you. When you walk through those things, you don't have time for the addictions and you don't have time for the temperaments and you don't have time for the negativity that's been spewed over you. You don't have time for the temptations because you, have, you don't have time for all of that because the fire is beginning to burn off of you, all that baggage that you were carrying, all the labels that people were beginning to put upon you. All the things that culture was beginning to call you. All the things that culture was beginning to say to you. To say, well, God's not with you. And God wouldn't help you. And God doesn't want you to be successful. And God doesn't want you to be healed. And God, all that stuff begins to drop off of you. When you walk through the fire. Because fire purifies. Fire purifies. It burns away the things that don't need to be there. And so God will allow sometimes for us to walk through seasons. Where the devil thinks that he's destroying you. But God says, no, I'm using it to purify. To make you become what I've called you to be. We talked about that in week one, that the only way the devil can get you to lose is if he gets you to give up the fight. Because in the middle of this purification, the only way the devil can get you to lose is if he gets you to give up the fight because the victory was already won at Calvary. The victory in this fight was already won. So if we stand in the fire, we know Jesus is with us. We stand and let it purify off of us. We know the victory is already won. Can I tell you that God's best for you is not that you would just survive through this. But God is doing things in the midst of the fire. Watch this in this story. It says, look, they're unharmed. And watch even further. It says, they came and they gathered around them. When they came out, they said they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. And not even was a hair of their hair, a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. And watch this part. There was no smell of fire on them. Can I just tell you that God's best for you isn't that you would just survive in the midst of this. That you would just kind of eke out an existence. But God wants you to thrive on the other side of this adversity. That God has a purpose for you still to do things for the kingdom of God. That he's not just wanting you to hold on until Jesus comes back. He's got things for you to do and he's preparing you even in the midst of the fire. And this fire will not harm you. He's saying it may purify some things. It may make some things drop off of your life that you thought were important. But God is preparing you for what he has. And I want you to know that this existence, the beautiful story of the church is that people are being saved, but also that they're being transformed. That people are being saved from the fire that they're walking through, but also they're being transformed to what God has for them. That they're not just living their life always remembering that fire that they went through. All of us know people like that. That it's all they talk about. That they went through something in adversity or, or a fire or something. Their existence is defined by that fire. They're still alive, but it's the only thing that they reference. It's the, only, it's the ceiling of their life. They smell like smoke because they've been through it. We all know people like that. And the true testimony of the church is that you can look in the eyes of believers. And if you looked in their eyes and you talked to them after Jesus has changed their life, you would say, well, that person's never been through anything. 
That person's never been through adversity. They've never been rejected. They've never been, they've never been just rejected by friends or betrayed. Or they've never walked through tragedy. They've never walked through anything. And nothing could be further from the truth. See, the beautiful story of Jesus is it's not the story of mountaintops. If you were to ask a believer, tell me your Jesus story. Tell me how Jesus changed you. Tell me what he did for you. Chances are they wouldn't tell you about some great business that they acquired. Or some great company transaction or some great house that they built. At least that's not what I would do. But if you ask them, tell me about what Jesus has done for you, I would roll up my sleeves and I would show you my scars. And I would tell you about the horrific moments that God has sustained me through. That God was there for me. And how those moments won't define me. And how those moments won't stop me. Not because I am great, but because He is great. And if you ask any Christian to tell you what Jesus has done in their lives, they'll begin to tell. And the beauty of this is you would never know it until they said it because Christ has redeemed and freed us. And he's healed us. And you would never see those things unless they told you about it. We don't have to smell like what you've been through. You don't have to smell like smoke. Even though God brought you through the fire, he has something for you on the other side of the furnace. God has a dream and a purpose for your life. So the Bible says they didn't even smell like the smoke. And then number three, as you come through this thing, the beautiful thing about this is you find influence. But I believe this is the dream that God has called you to. You begin to find influence in your life. Watch this. Nebuchadnezzar began to declare, said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they come out of the furnace, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. And so then verse 30 says this, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Influence is what God has called us to. Influence is what God has called you to on the other side of the furnace. That he's using that moment to catapult you further and farther than you ever would have been had the devil not attacked your life. So I want you to know if you're walking through a fire today, if you're walking through, you feel like the adversity that God has a purpose for you. And that you never would have reached where God has for you to go if you had not walked through that adversity. And it comes because we determine in our heart. You see, God has this thing for us, but it doesn't come if we bow our knee to culture. What God has for us doesn't come if we bow our knee to what the world is playing in their music. It doesn't come to us if we bow our knee to what the world is telling us to believe. It comes if you and I decide in the fire that we're going to take our stand. That we're going to be resilient and resolved. That we know who we believe. We take our stand in the furnace. I want you to know that Jesus is always with us. That he can burn off that baggage and that thing that we're carrying. And I want to finish with this. Because I want you to understand that he wants to free you. He wants to protect you in the fire. He wants to bring you through that thing. He wants to bring you to your destiny. But not just for your destiny's sake. God loves you. But I want you to know it's not just about you. God wants to touch your marriage, but he doesn't want to do it just for your marriage's sake. God wants to heal your kids, but not just for their sake. He wants to do these things in your life and in mine because there are thousands of people who are waiting on the other side of our obedience. There are people that we are called to reach and God's kingdom that we are called to build. And God is calling us out of the fire. Now he has a purpose for us, but not just so he could call us out and we'd have a great story to tell. No, God is with us and he has a purpose and a dream for our life so that when we go out into the world, now we can change others' lives, that he can touch your marriage so that other people can see it as an example of what God can do. That he can touch your life so that other people, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another. 
And so God is touching your life and he's doing things for you that other people can see and you can say, God did it for me. He can do it for you that you can find freedom, that you can find Jesus, that he can stand with you in the midst of those things, that we can be a light to the world. He wants us to do those things, but you and I have to make that decision while we're in the fire. There are thousands who are waiting on the other side of our obedience, but we have to make that decision to stand while we're in the fire. We have to begin to make that in our own lives because we can't control what happens to us in life. We can't control the fights that we find ourselves in, but we can control how we react. We can get our gloves up and we can begin to live this life that God has called us to live. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Wherever you are, here in person or watching online, I just want to pray this morning. I want to pray for those of you that maybe find yourself in the fire. For those of you who find yourself in adversity, those of you who have found yourselves in a fight that you didn't expect and you didn't ask for, but God is using it to propel you in the dream he has for you. I want to pray over you that we would learn to stand in the midst of tragedy, to stand in the midst of adversity. But first this morning, I want to pray for those of you, maybe you find yourself far from God. And there's a thousand different ways that people find themselves in that position. Maybe you pushed him away in a time of adversity. Or maybe you've never known God and you never had a relationship with him. And I want you to know that just because things don't work out the way that you thought they would, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have his hand on your life. It doesn't mean that God is absent. Just because things don't go the way we planned doesn't mean that God is not still on his throne. And so I want you to know this morning that he still loves you. That he has a purpose for you. That he has a dream for your life. And so if that's you, if you want to pray a prayer of surrender. You say, I want God to be with me. I want to ask him to take over and have control of my life. If that's you this morning, the Holy Spirit is already working inside of you. You can feel it in your heart. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And if you want to pray that prayer, I just encourage you, just repeat these words after me. You need to say them and mean them. And we're going to pray this prayer with you. So come on, church. Let's pray this. Just say, Dear Jesus, I repent. Forgive me today of all of my sins and all my mistakes. Now say these words. I make you the Lord of my life. Come into my heart and help me to live this life for you. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these amazing people, Lord, for those who have found themselves in a difficult scenario today or a time of adversity, those who have found themselves in the furnace. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage and the faith to stand, that we would know that you are with us. Lord, help us in these times of trial. Help us to be purified. Let those baggage and those things that we carry drop off of us. Lord, help us to walk through it. And then, Lord, bring us out unharmed that we can step into the influence that you have for our life. That we came through this time of testing, Father. That it would change us into who you have called us to be. And God, we thank you and we'll give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Can we say a good amen this morning for what God has done?